In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, and I am going to try on a cool greeting phrase like, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. So ready? Here it goes. Hey, all you survivors and thrivers. I don't know if that's good or bad or awful, but... But I, I felt like I had to try to rise to the greatness that is, hey, all you cool cats and kittens, as made famous by the one and only Carol Baskin of the worldwide now famous Tiger King, which is the show that we're going to be talking about today. I have a good friend of mine, uh, Mick Murtha from the improv troupe Death by Improv, my improv troupe that I'm also a member of. Um, and we have a great conversation about Tiger King and the problems with it, the sort of cult figures and the cult followers. So I hope you enjoy our conversation about Tiger King. But first, a note from our sponsor. All right. Well, I am thrilled for the first time to have one of my esteemed improvisation uh not co-workers, what, co- co-members? Uh, I uh, think that's about as good a word as any, yeah. <laughs> um, Mick Murtha, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thrilled to be here. So we we are in quarantine, and before we jump into what we're talking about today, you know, I, I, I'm asking everyone just how how are they doing? I know obviously, this is a weird situation. Um, we're, we're diving into all these different things. How are you holding up in quarantine life? I'm okay for the most part. Um, okay. I know, I know, a lot of stuff's going on for everybody. Yeah, Even yeah, for- it's it's um, yeah, you know, it's it's. I have good days and I have bad days. Um, yeah. it's just a matter of trying to dwell on the positives. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm healthy. I'm here with my wife. She's healthy. Um, you know, it, we could have it a lot worse than we do. So just trying to dwell on that, you know, I've got other stuff going on in my life, which is not, you know, particularly happy stuff that has nothing to do with being quarantined. And it's just a matter of trying to find things to do to keep my mind from, you know, just running through that over and over again. But uh, I could be I could be a hell of a lot worse than I am. So, well, well, I appreciate you coming on, especially under the circumstances. And um, that's kind of why we were doing this Mm -hmm. right as we're looking for fun and funny and weird things to almost like invest our time and selves into. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So with that being said, one of the uh, probably worldwide phenomenons at this point, um, we're talking Tiger King. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a show. It's so funny because these are the sorts of shows that I don't know if you're like me, where it's like I hear there's this, you know, crazy viral popular show going around. And my initial reaction is always sort of like skepticism, like, ah, is this really something that I want to, um, you know, invest my time in? I only have so much yeah. non-parenting time to watch television. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm usually yeah. about like six months or so behind the zeitgeist. Sure. Um, yep. So if there's something that's big and that like it seems like the whole country is is talking about, I will 
I will most of the time check it out, but I will check it out like months and months after it's it's passed. And it's not right. it's not me trying to, you know, it's not me thinking that my time is more valuable or I'm just trying to look down on people who are into what's popular. No, it's of course. Like, you know, it, when I have free time, like, you know, good or bad, I tend to go to like what I sort of think of as like my comfort food. And, you know, that sort of means, you know, right now that means watching, uh, you know, Kitchen Nightmares for the 800th time. But, you know, <laughs> it, this is the sort of thing where it was like, you know, we were chatting about it before we started recording. And it was like, you know, I think right now, because we're in this quarantine mode, um, there's something really attractive about being a part of a conversation that it seems like the whole world is having. And I think that's sort of what drew me into, you know, starting to watch the show. Yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of people are experiencing that where we're looking for something that unites us mm-hmm. even for a moment in like ridiculous uh, stuff. And it um, is ridiculous. And it is ridiculous, but at, at the same time, and obviously I want to set us up before we start talking here. So because these are real people, um, who are alive and living their lives while, you know, things around them are, are broken down endlessly. And we're obviously going to do a little bit of breaking down of our own. Um, I, I want to be very respectful of that. So um, we're not going to diagnose any people, obviously, that I haven't uh, evaluated myself. Yeah. We can talk about some of the theories that people have and how to understand these people and why they get into the situations that they've gotten into. Um, but I want to be respectful of them as well. So, you know, it's, it's, but yeah, so so to get back to what you said, you know, we're signing up. We're, in some ways, we're looking for for something meaningful. I don't want to be too deep about this, mm-hmm. but it's like um, because we're stuck at home for the most part, um, we're looking for something to uh, that that could be bigger than ourselves. And and some of that is having a conversation that's outside of ourselves with people that are all you know staring at in disbelief this incredible story. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so to set that up, um, you know, obviously there are a whole different um, number of ways that we could talk about this show, you know, from the, all the different characters to the controversies to the conspiracy theories. But I think, you know, one of the ways that I wanted to kind of start out the conversation today is, you know, why this show? Because obviously there's a ton of other, you know, entertainment options, um, depending on what you're into and, and what you watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've gotten into Quibi, Mick, but there's a lot of stuff on Quibi. I've, um, I haven't gotten into that beyond the ads for it that pop up before videos yeah. that I'm watching on YouTube. I, I still don't know what a Quibi is other than that it's apparently it's short, but that's about the Yeah, I'll tell you all it. about it. I've, oh, sure. I got roped in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so so from your perspective as someone who, as I understand, has has almost watched the whole series twice. Yes. Why do you think it was this show that that we all sort of collectively got roped into? Well, I think, like I mentioned, a it was the timing of it. I mean, Netflix could not have asked for a better timing yeah, to put this thing out there. Um, it's it's a thing where a like I mentioned, you know, people are stuck and they're looking for something to watch and they're looking for something to sort of sort of joining like the big national conversation. Um, I think the thing is too, is it's the situations in it are so crazy that it's like, you're not going to, you're watching that and you get so wrapped up in this pretty much train wreck of a story that you're not really focusing on the here and now of what a crazy situation we're in right now. Um, Mm -hmm. It is so far, you know, just being in, 
you know, I think there's something to be said for living in a world where you, you know, people are able to go to these sort of like crazy wild animal parks. It's just, you're, yeah. you're, you're able to visit a world that's not just like the four walls of your house. And yes. it's, it's, it's crazy in its own way, but it's also sort of, it's accessible because it is real people, if you sort of get what I mean. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask, have you ever been to a place like this before? Not that I remember. I think Doc okay. Antle's place is in Myrtle Beach, and I've been to yep. Myrtle Beach a couple times. Okay. And unless, <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a chance that I was at it when I was like six years old, and I don't remember it. But to my knowledge, I think the only thing like this that's even close to this is like going through like the, the Six Flags uh, Safari. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's funny that you mentioned that one. So yeah, I've been, I've been on Six Flags Safari. I've actually also been to, there is a wolf sanctuary in like upstate New Jersey, oh, like wow. close to the Pennsylvania um, border. Um, and this is like, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I took my wife on a like private tour of a private photography tour of the wolf sanctuary. Oh, wow. I had no and... idea we had one of those in Jersey. Yeah, and and they probably have I don't know somewhere between fifteen and twenty five wolves like split up by like what type of wolf they are, mm-hmm. um, and and it's like and it's nothing like the the you know the big cat sanctuaries. There are there's literally in the forest, so it's these huge like fenced in enclosures. Yeah. Like the 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 person that was working there literally had to call out for the wolves to come over. If she hadn't done that, you might not even have known that they were there. Um, but it reminded me of this experience because you do get to get real up and close and 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 I, I guess we probably could have pet them mm-hmm. if we really wanted to, but she assured us that that wasn't a great idea. I can imagine um, it would and, and, be. And yeah. the Tiger King kind of plays that out as well, right? That <laughs> um, these are wild animals. Um, but seeing all the people be interested in going to these places, it reminded me of doing that. It's like, yeah, that I, I kind of get it. It is really cool uh-huh. in the sense of being able to see these animals that you would never have this experience with like up close and personal right so i i get it but i'm also i also see why for example like people like carol baskin exist uh-huh. to to at least as she says like fight against the joe exotics of the world yeah right? and and the, the thing that that gets me with that is is with the show i think what gets sort of lost in the the hysteria or the, the mania about the show right now. Um, the thing that I sort of came away from it the most um, was I, I, I felt really badly for the animals um, mm, yeah. because I mean, watching it, I, I got the impression that, you know, I, I, I'm pretty well, I'm pretty willing to bet that someone like Joe exotic or someone like doc Antle, I think they might be playing lip service to the idea of being animal lovers, I think that to them, this is their business and this is their meal ticket and this is their ticket to fame and fortune or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And I sort of feel like as, as well done as the show is, I kind of feel like they could have done a little bit more to focus on the plight of the animals because that made me feel horrible. Just seeing the way, you know, yeah, seeing the way that they were, that they were treated. Um, but the other thing too, that I left the, you know, after watching the show and I don't know, and and I haven't really looked into this, but it's like beyond the fact that she's not letting people actually come in and, and, and pet the animals and get their pictures taken with the animals. It's like, I'm not yes. really convinced that what Carol's, I'm not convinced that Carol's operation is any better than Joe's. 
Um, right. Because it's it's still it's still tigers in captivity. And I know that you can't, you know, just take a tiger that's born in captivity and just let it loose in the wild. But it's like it feels like there's a there's a better way for this to be done than just these people in Florida running their own private yeah. zoo. I mean, I mean, and I don't have the answers to it, but it just whatever the answer is, I'm pretty sure this show did not show it to us. Well, yeah, so that's a great point. And not only that, um, but it's obviously Carol's Operation Big Cat Rescue, right, is also clearly a money-making mm-hmm. enterprise, right? So it's not like she's purely not-for-profit out to just save tigers' lives. Yeah, I think, that the, I think that, sadly, the word rescue attracts a yeah. lot of money. Like people yeah, see it and they yeah, think they're yeah. they're doing their work, they're doing some donation for some worthwhile charity. And yeah. And like I said, I haven't researched this too much. There could be she could be doing good things, but that was not the impression that the show left me with. Sure, sure. And and no question that there are a lot of complicated situations here. If, especially if you probably could probably go cat by cat and you know, how do these animals get end up in these places? Right, right. right. Um but you know, one of the reasons that well, I guess one of the, the most fascinating parts about this show for me, maybe just because of my um, you know, interest in mental health and stuff like that is so the second episode of the series really dives into some of the cult of personality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of uh, Joe Exotic, Doc Antle, and Carol Baskin, right? So, and and I've had people ask me, sort of like, what is it about these people that people just kind of flock to them? Like, people work for Carol Baskin, work they volunteer for free, yeah, right? Um, people came from all over the country to work for uh, Joe Exotic and Doc Antle. And Doc Antle, very famously, as pointed out in the show, had multiple, has multiple wives. Yeah. So all these like different sort of mini cults happening. Um, and obviously Joe Exotic has had multiple husbands. Yeah. So, so this sort of cult thing, I mean, did, did it feel like a cult to you? It multiple absolutely cult as felt, it? I mean, Doc's okay. felt like, Doc Antle's felt like more of a cult to me. Um, not that Joe's didn't, but, you know, Doc Antle definitely felt like, I mean, and and I'm pressing this by saying, you know, I am not, I am not a mental health professional and I am not, you know, in any way going to attempt to try to do anything to try to diagnose any of these people. But I mean, it seems to me that, that they both were attracting people who were sort of like at the end of their rope and didn't really have mm. any other op- like Joe there said scene. I'm pretty sure it was with Joe where it's like, he runs into this woman at like a bus stop or whatever. And I think she had just gotten out of jail and he's like, well, I'll give you, you know, whatever, like 120 bucks a week to stay in a trailer on my property and work at my animal park. And it's like, I think he's sort of looking for, I got the impression he was looking for people who are sort of down and out at the end of their rope yeah. and just trying to offer them, you know, what seems like a lifeline to them. And it, I'm like, that sort of seems like cult leader 101. You know, you find the disaffected yeah. people who feel like that they're, you know, they have nowhere else to turn. Um, yeah. And some of the people that they, that they interviewed that had quote unquote gotten out. Sort yeah. Of definitely um, sort of spoke about those places in those terms. Exactly. I know the one from, from the second episode, I think it, it was, um, I think her name is Barbara Fisher, but she, I'm sure she went by something else. <laughs> Probably. Um, as yeah. All of uh, Doc Antle's wives did. Um, but she, you know, left, you know, the, the cult essentially after kind of, I guess, being, you know, uh, sort of put on the outs yeah. by Doc. Yeah. So well, it, it's just, there was like, 
that's the thing that when he, she's going through the whole story about, yeah. you know, how they, they say, you know, I think she, she comes out at one point and even says, you know, it's sort of expected if you want to progress in this, that it's sort of expected that you'll sleep with doc. And it's like, right. you know, it, I just get the impression. It's like, it feels really, really like he's, he's grooming these girls. And that was really, yeah. that, yeah. that felt really, really uncomfortable. And that's, that's the thing about it is again, I keep, I, find myself coming back to like these are real people and i feel like you know i feel there's a part of me which almost sort of feels like sort of complicit and they're being exploited Mm. in a way and i feel terrible about it um because it's like you know this is this is a show about real people and people are making money off of this and it's real people with some real serious issues and you know as much as i was glad to be sort of like a part of the conversation and and like we talked about almost twice part of the conversation because I've watched the entire show almost twice now. Yeah. Um, there's part of me that feels guilty about it because like I said, these are real people going through real problems and, you know, as well done as the story was told and it was put together by some people who I think are really, really good documentary filmmakers. There's oh, yeah, a, sure. a degree of it where I feel like they're exploiting on the real, you know, the real issues that these people are having. And I felt, you know that that's why I sort of the, the the takeaway I had from it was once I finished watching the show I actually put on Facebook saying I just finished watching Tiger King if anyone needs me I'm going to be in the shower for a long time yeah. <laughs> because I felt there's a part of me that felt complicit in this. Yeah, it's so interesting, and I, so it reminded me of there there have been other sort of nationwide fascinations with almost like a, a specific culture which this feels like in a lot of ways before definitely yeah the one that the one that jumped to my mind and maybe that's just because we're in new jersey was jersey shore where it's just like this complete different culture that people are unaware exists mm-hmm. right so in this case you know it's not ne- necessarily located to a specific location obviously it's uh was it like oklahoma myrtle beach florida so it's spread out right right um but the culture of of big cats and the culture of um you know uh this sort of illegal cat trade stuff yeah um that there's all this weird stuff going on it is really a culture like how is this stuff happening who are these people who are these people that sort of join up with these um with these cult-like leaders um and i think that's part of the fascination of you know we sort of have no awareness or exposure that this kind of stuff exists or goes on and then when it's like a, a window is cracked open it's like oh tell me more like what how, who are these people what is happening and you're right it is real people yeah and if, if anyone has seen the the sort of after uh after the show special with joel McHale on netflix which is weird because i was very much so filmed in the present in other words like it's joel McHale on his cell phone in his home <laughs> like zoom interviewing oh my all God. Of i didn't even think about that part, yeah. yeah it's 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 very weird. It's super meta weird. Well, at least it wasn't um, Chris Hardwick. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. Um, and and you just get this sense that even though they know like the show is like this national phenomenon, they are just normal people trying to continue living their lives. Yeah, and and that's sort of the the other thing that you know when I came back to the pick that these are actual people with actual problems, and I sort of think to myself, you know. I see the people who are caught up in this world that these people had created. And I sort of think to myself, well, there, but for the grace of God, go I, because, Mm. you know, I don't know what decisions or what, you know, what things have happened in these people's lives that led them down this path. 
but it's like i don't know how many you know god knows if there's a few decisions that i made differently in my life you know could i have been in a situation like that Mm. i mean i don't know i certainly hope not but can i say that that's not the case no because it's it's you know it's hypothetical but you know i'm sure that a lot of these people when they were younger and you know, they, they were sort of planning out or thinking about what they wanted to do with their lives. I doubt very much that many of these people were sort of thinking that this is the life that they were, you know, expecting to lead once they got into adulthood. All right. So I'm glad you brought, the, brought this up because it's sort of it's a fascinating question about like, what is it about us or people that could lead them into following these other people? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because people have asked me, you know, oh, is Carol a psychopath? Is Joe a psychopath? Is Doc Antle a sociopath? Like, it feels like all these people are, are you know, these sort of terrible human beings. And as I said before, I'm not going to, you know, make any proclamations or diagnoses. But right. to sort of answer the question about, you know, if they are cult leaders, like, what is it about cult leaders that people sort of follow? Mm-hmm. And for me, um, there's this there's obviously there's this confidence all of them in different ways have this certainty about what they are meant to do mm-hmm. how they know how to do it right and and their ability to bring people in um you know just like you said like like the 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 sort of like <laughs> i hate to say it, the 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 chutzpah the or whatever the the stuff that it takes for Joe to ask someone who clearly just got out of jail, yeah. if he wants to come be paid minimum wage to live in a trailer on his, his, you know, backwoods zoo, like that takes a lot to just ask the random person, right? And es- nobody can do that. Yeah, and and especially because and and the the thing is, he has him wrapped up so much around like he's got this so wrapped up into his into his world. One of the things that really stuck with me about it was it's like you get to a point I think where, where he got to a point in his world that he created for himself that he mm-hmm. didn't think that there was anything that he could do that would sort of turn these people off. And it's like, there's the part where, um, uh, Saf gets her arm bitten off yes. by the tiger and he's yes. standing there in the office in full view of all his other employees. And the first yep. he, and he felt comfortable enough with the way that he's got these people locked into him that, his thought was to say, I, there's no way I can financially recover from this. I'm going to lose a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, this is the person that these people lived and worked with who got her arm bitten off by a tiger. And at that point, it's like, you know, I hear someone gets their arm bitten off by a tiger. You know, my thing is, oh, my God, are they going to, you know, are they going to bleed to death or something like that? Sure. And he's, yeah. he's you know, this is someone that these people live and work with. And you have to think there's some sort of a personal relationship with them. And then he's standing there, the guy who's in charge of this, like the, the godfather of this whole operation, talking about how this is going to financially affect him. And there's no care. A, there's no outward care for the person who was attacked by the tiger. But B, there didn't seem to be any concern with the way that coming out and saying that would affect the other people, you know, right. in his world. And it's like yeah. that takes some, you know takes a couple of brass ones i think in its own way to, yeah to, exactly to, no that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah um yeah so this there's a clear what we would think of in, in terms of mental health terms of a lack of empathy right mm-hmm. he's not concerned about the sort of emotional impact of what's happening in the moment he's concerned with his own uh success or lack thereof as a result of this right right you know, this incident yeah and and carol as well you know I think she she puts on this sort of air of I am trying to save these animals and I'm different from Joe and and Doc Antle, but she's also 
uh, can we say exploiting labor? I mean, you know, people yeah. who are, some of them talked about working, you know, a, a numbers of hours, giving up holidays for no pay mm -hmm. um, to do this work for her. So, yeah. And obviously, I, <laughs> and I kind of think that, you know, they, they do go into that a bit in the one episode, but I also sort of think one of the failings of the show and granted, you know, the focus of the show is Joe Exotic. Um, yes. But it's also sort of how his rivalry with Carol sort of led to this whole insanity. Um, oh, yeah. And I sort of think it's kind of a failure of the show in its own way that, it, you know, it, granted had the whole episode sort of the, going down the rabbit hole of, of uh, Carol and her ex-husband. Yes. Um, but I kind of think it's a failing of the show that it didn't sort of go a little bit deeper into the way her operation actually works and yeah, letting you find out whether or not if this is any different from what Joe or what doc does, because I, mm -hmm. I don't know. And I, I don't know where to look outside of, you know, watching the sure. show to get that information. So I sort yep. of think that's something I kind of wish that they had spent a little bit more time on. So you can sort of get a feel for whether or not she is any better for lack of a better word than what Joe is doing. Yeah, so whether or not these people are, are psychopaths or sociopaths is, is one question, but I think, and you sort of spoke to that, that some of these people are sort of at a, a very low point when they do decide to yeah. um, kind of join in with these various places. And, you know, I, I said, is it, is it an attraction to the confidence? Is it an attraction to the um, sort of uh, success, potential for success? Or just as, a, as an attraction to... I mean, in the case of some of the, the people with, with Joe Exotic, is it attraction to uh, danger, risk, drugs? Like, there's so many different things going and on. That, that And I think there's something to that. But I think there's yeah. also, I think there's also with people who, when they're at their lowest point, there's something very attractive of someone who appears to have all their stuff together. Exactly. And yes. So I'm glad you said that. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go personal for a minute. And, and this involves you. Sure. That... When I, um, you know, just started out in doing improv, um, I took a couple classes, um, and you know, my wife sent me the the that DBI was looking for, um, you know, was doing it was doing um, uh, auditions, right? Right. And this is like I don't know six or seven years now. Uh, Come back ways, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And so I came and auditioned, and I think. You know, never having uh, seen any like improv troupe in that context, like I never had auditioned before. Right. Um, but the thing that felt most comfortable was how confident you guys appeared, at least from my viewpoint, and mm -hmm. in, in how well you guys could do what you were doing. Well, yeah. And whether I got into it or not, I was like, okay, this is something that I want to be part of to a certain extent because. These people are are having fun. They are into it. They're confident, and it's not. Um, it doesn't feel fake or or forced. It's just these people uh, like know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think to a large extent, like that's what like attracts people to. Not that I'm comparing you guys to Joe Exotic, but, <laughs> but there's something. There's, you just, there's you just haven't reached that, that level. You haven't reached that level in the troop yet. We haven't <laughs> let you in on that particular <laughs> secret. Oh, fair enough. That's a fair point. Yeah. Um, but I think there's also, I, I think that anyone, especially if, if you're in a situation like that, you are, if, you know, if we want to label what they're doing as sort of being cult-like, um, I think a lot of the appeal or a lot of the, you know, outward appeal, like I mentioned, it, it looks like it's someone who has their stuff together, but I think a large degree of that, um, particularly in the case of Joe, because you spent the show, spent the most, most time with him is, and, and this is something that's actually been true of me in improv and also mm. true of me professionally 
is when you talk about that confidence, a lot of the time it's like, you got to fake it till you make it, you know? I know hundred percent. And now knowing you guys, I know that that's the case. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like the, the thing, it's like the best compliment I think I've gotten like in my professional life or one of the better ones that I've gotten is from a former uh, boss of mine um, who, you know, it was a really, really stressful time. And the team I was leading was, you know, it, it was, it, we were going through a really tough time, you know, change in leadership, you know, high level of business, a lot of unsatisfied uh, customers. And it was a tough time when a lot of stuff fell on my shoulders and I was really stressed out. But I knew the fact was that there's people on my team who were sort of looking to me for leadership. And I knew that, you know, if I'm in this position where I had to lead this team, I can't let this show. So I would sort of put on that brave face when I was out you know, working with my team and doing what needed to be done on a daily basis. And there were times when I was absolutely like at my wits end and and stressed and sort of feeling like I was on the verge of a breakdown, but I sort of was able to compartmentalize enough to the point where, you know, I didn't let that on in front of the people who were looking up to me. And what made, what meant the world to me after seeing this going on for a couple of weeks is my boss or my general manager pulling me aside and saying, you know, I like what I'm seeing out of you because you're, you're not letting your team see a sweat. And mm. I think that that's, you know, I think that there's granted, you don't want, you know, you don't want to completely bottle up your emotions because Lord knows that's not healthy, but when you're in a position of leadership or where you're knowing that people are looking up to you, I think if you're going to effectively lead people, there's going to be a degree of you, um, you know, like I said, fake it till you make it when you're not feeling like you're at your best. And I think it's pretty clear from watching, going back to the show, that when you look at Joe, you know, there's some real, real, and I, I don't want to put a label on it because that's not my place to do that, but he's got some real issues that he's, sure. you know, he, I'm granted there's times when you can see it bubbles up and he's, you know, going off and, and you know, firing people you know, and stuff like that in, in full view of everybody. But I think a lot of it is when he's in front of the people who are looking up to him he felt the need to be this sort of alpha male. I've got all the answers sort of thing when clearly, you know, you can't be that person 24 seven because no one always has all the answers. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, you know, somebody actually asked me, you know, um, does Joe's and another, then Doc Antle's to a certain extent as well, like the sort of extravagance or flamboyance, not, not because Joe's uh, gay, but more just like, the shows that they put on right Mm -hmm. is that because of are they covering up for something are they covering up for some insecurity and without you know obviously as we said we're not evaluating them we've not evaluated them and they're this is we're not trying to go off of anything they haven't said right but but as you said clearly within the show we see these sort of cracks in the armor we see these um moments in which they are um you know not doing as well as they might want everyone to think yeah yeah but I think the thing too that also, um, the, the thing that sort of really jumped out at me too was just how colossal of an ego you have to have to sort of live this sort of lifestyle where you're sort of running this sort of world. Um, like I, the thing that really struck me with that um, was watching um, Trevor's funeral and mm, Joe yeah. making it, you know, all about him and it's like you know 
was there, did he care about him? I mean, did Joe truly care about him? I mean, maybe in his own way he did. I can't get in his head and sort of know that, but I mean, it takes us, it takes just, in my opinion, just having this massively outsized ego to take something as traumatic as that and gather up all the people who are close to this person. And then the course of your, the service, you know, make it about you. And it's like, that just, that's one of those things where, again, when I said that I felt like, when I sort of felt like I was sort of privy to this sort of exploitation, because it's like, these are people who are really grieving. And I, you know, I've had enough loss in my life to know that there's certain ways that, you know, there's certain ways that are healthy to sort of work through that grieving process. And, you know, I, I don't really see having another, um, you know, having a funeral be made all about the, the, the husband of the deceased, I don't, you know, I don't see how that's helpful. And that kind of made my heart break for like, uh, for like Trevor's family, because I think there's something important about having a a memorial service, you know, at least for me personally, to put in perspective, the impact this person had on your life and the lives of the other people who cared about it. And I think from, you know, people who have lost that sort of helped me get a degree of closure. And I see that this is not at all the way this service is going for these people. And that just made me feel terrible for them. Yeah, so you do see the the sort of ruin left behind for some of these people, whether it's people that got out of Doc Antle's uh, situation, mm-hmm. um, whether it's, you know, uh, whatever happened to Carol's ex-husband. Yeah. Um, you know, that there is this, you know, whether they are psychopaths or not, you know, it's clear that they're sort of um, uh, one-note determination for success or domination over their rivals leaves mm-hmm. i think other people behind yeah broken or battered or un- and as you mentioned in travis's cases unfortunately dead which yeah. is, is just incredibly sad yeah and it's like i i felt really badly for for travis's family and, and the other people who i felt the, the most for in the end were um you know th- there was people in in Joe's orbit, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rinky with the, 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 the artificial legs and, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I can't remember his, his, his name, but he's the guy with the long blonde hair who was like the head, like gamekeeper or whatever in the park. And it's, uh, yes, Eric, Eric, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was on the tip yeah. of my tongue and I could not, yeah. um, because these people, you know, you could tell sort of in the way, especially in the end with Eric, there was this true degree of affection for, you know, for Joe to an extent, you know, granted he ended up testifying in the trial, but you know, he felt, you could tell that he felt so conflicted about it, but it was like, also I sensed from him too, going back that he had, he had a real connection to these animals. And I got the sense that beyond just the people in the park, that the, the animals were also part of his whole surrogate family. And this whole thing sort of caused that to get ripped away from him. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, I, Joe exotic. I know he's a human being and I know he's, I'm sure he's has his issues and things like that. And he's a human being. So it's like, I want him to be better, but I didn't particularly, it's like by the end of the show, it's like, I don't, I didn't particularly feel, I didn't feel bad for him. He ended up in prison because it's like, you know what, this is probably what he deserves, but you know, he attracted all these people who, you know, he was their world and he just, I felt bad for the people who got caught up in that orbit because, you know, we saw 
you know, one of them ended up dead, um, you know, and other, and just people just lost everything that they had sort of yep. built their lives around. And it just made me feel so bad again. And again, felt like I was sort of privy to the exploitation of these people. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, that's the part that left a bad taste in my mouth about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is really sad. And I think, and that's, you know, and that, and it, it again reminds me of of Georgia Shore in a sense where we get wrapped up in some of the drama and the antics of these people, mm-hmm. but then when you sort of see the aftermath, whether it's like after the show or some of the more like human moments, it's like, oh, that's right, this is not like a, a fiction, a drama that someone cooked up. These are real people, <laughs> some of whom have been really adversely affected by the events that that we're watching for entertainment. Yeah, it, so that's it's that's what's hard. It's like I've been watching. Um... You know, I've been watching The Wire again lately because that's, I don't know if you've ever watched it, but I think it's, it could be, if you're looking, if you're talking about like scripted TV dramas, I think it might be the best one ever made. Um, but it is, it has so many characters who are well-written, well-written and well-developed and granted they're fictional, but you, you feel really strongly for these people and then characters die in this show and it affects yeah. you. Um but then I have to sort of step away and remind myself, okay, well, this is fiction, you know, as, as heartrending as it can be, these are not real people. And I feel a thing that makes me feel bad is I think some of the appeal of Tiger King is just that there's people who are watching it and almost sort of pointing and laughing at it. And it's like, you know, you can do that with a show that's scripted, but like, I kind of have to remind myself sometimes that these are actual human beings and it just, you feel bad for getting caught up in, you know, I, part of me feels bad considering that these people, these are their real lives and I'm sort of watching it as entertainment because that's, you know, these people's real lives were my escape for a while. And it's just, it's it's an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So how to sort of square that, right? Cause I've had people ask me, you know, both from, the side of people actually, you know, getting wrapped up into uh, Joe's or Carol's or Doc Antle's situations, like what would a healthy version of attachment to these people look like? And I think also for us actually watching the show, sort of, we can maybe talk a little bit about that as we wrap up for today. Sure. Because, you know, what would healthy attachment look like to someone like Joe Exotic? Well, um, it's a hard question to ask because it really felt like everyone that got wrapped up in him was negatively affected. So it's like, can you safely attach yourself or safely, you know, uh, uh, go work at at a place like this um, without kind of losing your sense of self. Yeah. And I don't don't know. Yeah. I I don't know that there is. I mean, I just, well, because it's, because the whole, every one of these exotic animal parks that we saw in this show were to varying degrees built around a cult of personality. Yep. And I don't know, A, I doubt very strongly that there's a way that you can sort of run that sort of cult of personality and have it be a healthy thing for people involved. That's just, you know, again, I'm not a professional, but I just, if I see something like that, that just sort of sets off a red flag that this is not a healthy thing. But it's like, I don't know if it's possible to sort of have this sort of operation without being that sort of person. And it's just, you know, I don't know that there is a healthy way to do that. Well, right. So, so in other words, like an ethical 
uh, uh, empathetic person would be unlikely to have a borderline illegal large cat zoo or sanctuary. Yeah, exactly. That, because I think or, or saying, okay, when you get yeah. down to it, I think the whole operation is based on uh, the exploitation of rare animals. And I don't think yeah. that there's a, I don't think that a person can do that in a healthy way. Um, right. At least not that I can think of and not, and, and definitely not in a way that this show had, uh, had demonstrated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so for people who would, who would wonder, you know, how could you safely be around, you know, someone who might be, and again, I'm not saying they are, but might be like psychopathic in the sense that they're not um, empathetic toward people. They might be likely to just kind of take advantage of people's labor and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the closest thing you can get to healthy is like to have the most strict boundaries you can. So I would suggest, you know, not living on the compound, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, well, and on, honestly, anytime know, that your your establishment can be described as a compound, that's probably that's not exactly. a healthy thing. <laughs> a warning sign. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and to the extent that you can have, um, let's say, social support outside of the job, because I think what what becomes abusive about these places is it becomes your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't have friends and family that you're still connected with outside because you're you live there and you work there all the time you're skipping holidays you're skipping everything else so you don't have that same connection yeah and it's it's it, that's i think the other thing too is that i think that places like this are definitely targeting people who don't have necessarily other people in their lives um yeah you know when i say when i said earlier that there but for the grace of god go i i know that a lot of the times when i've been close to making bad decisions in my life what has sort of pulled me back from it is the fact that i have a support system of family and friends who know me well enough and and at times know me better than myself that can sort of back me away from doing something that i know that i'm going to regret and i don't know that a lot of these people if a if they have them in their lives but if you look back and you see that like you know we're talking about how um uh travis had a family um, and I feel like I may have called him Trevor a couple of times and I feel bad about that because it's those two names have always sort of run parallel in my mind. So if, if I, I only it, have heard you say Travis. Okay, good. Well, good. Cause oh, I, we can, we can edit it. All out. right. Fantastic. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, he has a mother and I think he had siblings, but it's like, you know, th it struck me that there was some degree of distance and that they didn't have the sort of relationship that they, you know, had that sort of strength to sort of help someone through when they're making a bad decision. And, you know, I just, I just think that, you know, I think the, the, the main takeaway that I got from the sort of people who would get roped into this sort of thing is I doubt very much they had the sort of healthy support system that would keep them from getting there in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lesson for us, you know, not that we have, not we're on the same level as, as Travis's family, but, but as people who will maybe feel complicit sometimes and have this weird guilt about, like, oh, is this is this what I'm using to entertain myself? Like people's lives who wouldn't, some of whom or at least are sort of been really adversely affected by what we're watching. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how, so what I do is when, when we're thinking about things like guilt, it's like, oh, I kind of feel guilty. I feel complicit. Um, guilt is only useful, right? If it, if it sort of compels you to um, make up for whatever you did that make you, you feel guilty, right? That's sort of classic thing, like, um, you spilled some milk. Well, you feel bad about it. Feeling bad is only useful if it makes you clean it up and not spill next time. Right, right. So if it's if you're feeling so complicit or so guilty, 
then sure, look at your your media consumption habits. You know, like we're all trying to cope with these um, uncertain times. I think we are in some ways um, attracted to these more like sensational, um, you know, uh, intense, sad uh, sorts of stories. So if that's not, if you're finding that that's not good for you, um, you know, hey, go watch The Good Place or go watch um, something else that, that's going to be a little bit easier on you. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And that's that's for me. That's for Mick. That's for everybody, because I think we we need to be mindful of sort of what we're exposing ourselves to in this time. Definitely. Most yeah. Definitely. Well, Mick, thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, you know, we on on the podcast we try to, you know, do ratings. So let's just say on a on an entertainment scale, because obviously because these are real people, I'm not going to rate the sort of accuracy of so how to well mental if mental health issues were portrayed. These are real people. Mm-hmm. These are real issues. Uh, I would not pretend any uh, otherwise. So, um, but on an on an entertainment value, uh, you know, would you recommend other people watch Tiger King if they haven't already? Now um, that we've talked about the whole series. I mean, I I'm glad I watched it, if only from the fact that, like I said, we're in this unprecedented situation in the world right now, and I feel that watching it has sort of helped me stay close to people who I wouldn't necessarily have been having regular conversations with in these circumstances. Um, just, I would say if you're, if you're considering watching it, you haven't just be forewarned that it can be heavy. It can be very heavy. It gets dark. It's very dark. And just, you know, that these are, you know, just remember that there's actual people involved and that are being affected by this. Um, if you don't mind the fact, if you, if you can get past the fact that it's really dark and really heavy and deals with human beings, I think it's a worthwhile watch. I think from a technical perspective, it's extremely well-made. Um, but just keep in mind that, you know, I, I think the thing that I don't want to do and I, and to a, a degree, I think I've been guilty of this is I don't want to feel like I'm pointing and, and laughing at the, at the train wreck. You know, just keep in mind yeah, that they're actual people yeah. and that, you know, their people are suffering as a result of this. And, you know, and, you know, don't judge because, like I said, right. you know, All right. we don't we don't want to judge <laughs> and we don't want to take pleasure in other people's pain because there's a lot of pain going on. Absolutely. Um, if that wasn't already clear. Yeah. So. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, I, I you know, we could talk about this show for for many more hours. Probably. But I think we've hit some, some really important points of it. So, you know. If you're considering watching it, I think he'd make advice. He'd make advice. Just sort of, you know, have have your foot on the brake so that if you need to to hit it and back out yep. and and watch enough just to be able to join the conversation, great. And maybe if, if like you can you find a to, list of uh, trigger watch. warnings for that people there might have go. on there, that probably would yep. be good. Because absolutely, yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of them. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> all right, Mick. Well, hey, uh, you know, tell the people what you're working on. Anything you want to plug for your own, for your your wife? So what, what's going on? For uh... you? Not really, just because uh, no. we're doing it. I mean, other Any than messages of messages you want the people to hear. Other than, uh, well, you know, Death by Improv. You and I are both part of it. We're uh, doing shows uh, via Zoom and over YouTube right now. So just keep watching our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash Death by Improv or YouTube.com/slash Death by Improv. Because as soon as we have a new show date, you'll see them there. And um, stay inside, stay safe, keep your social distance. Um, because I want to get out of my house, but I want to get out of my house when I know it's safe to do so. And the more people who are you. staying at home and doing the things they need to do, the quicker we can be there. So stay in your house. All right, Mick. Thanks so much. Have a good one. My pleasure, sir. You have a good one too.